Hello and welcome to the Beyond Biotech podcast number 79. I'm Jim Cornell and this is the weekly podcast from LaBiotech. And this week we have a conversation with one of the pioneers of CRISPR about his company, which is taking a novel approach to treating disease. Stanley Chi was one of the original inventors of CRISPR at UC Berkeley and one of those who published the first paper on CRISPR interference in February 2013. That seems almost a lifetime ago in the world of research and now Dr. Chi is the founder of Epic Bio and that is a company pioneering epigenetic editing. Before we get to what epigenetic editing is, I would normally ask for some background on the company. However, this time, that's not how the conversation started. You've had a very interesting career to this date, so I wonder if maybe to start you could tell me a little bit about some of the things that you've done so far in the biotech field. Yeah, sure. I'm currently an associate professor of bioengineering at Stanford University, and my primary research direction is to get better technologies and tools that we could use to uh, modify and control the human genome beyond gene editing. And uh, besides using these tools for research, our, we have a big goal to translate some of these tools into the therapeutic domain, such as new gene therapy or cell therapy for disease that really demands a new technology. For my training background, I originally got my PhD from UC Berkeley in bioengineering. However, even before that, I was trained as a physicist. And uh, I have been working on synthetic biology and uh, biofuel production and methods on that for a couple of years before I transitioned my attention fully onto tackling the technologies and the treatments for the human disease. And after my PhD at Berkeley, I also worked for a few years at UCSF to, as an independent fellow. And there we co-developed technologies like uh, Nucleostat DCAS9 and uh, CRISPR-I, CRISPR-A. And then after we moved, I moved my lab to Stanford, we've been very much focused on thinking how we could use these technologies to treat disease. And we have particular focus on the human epigenome, such as the epigenetic editing. Is that what led to the formation of Epic Bio? Oh, yes. So we've been working in this domain for more than a decade. And uh, it all started with the need, the huge needs that the question is, how can we precisely modify or control the human genome? And uh, CRISPR technology came out, right, got inspired. It was originally discovered as a bacteria's genetic immune system used by bacteria cells to fight their viruses like bacteriophages. It has super high potential for precision. That really excited me. So we've been working on polishing the tools in the lab and uh, many of our papers being published on top journals, but meanwhile, the technology is being filed as patents. And then as we shifting more and more focus onto the translational side, I, did, I realized there is a huge need to translate these tools outside of the lab. And while the, the research lab itself is not sufficient to provide a full spectrum for testing them in human, and also develop them as a real product to the real world. 
And that therefore we've been talking to the people and the investors and the supporters. There's a big support to say, okay, so let's try to license out the technology into a new startup, which is Epic Bio, which was founded in 2019 and supported by Horizon Ventures. And uh, by the way, also Horizon Ventures being uh, and the Bikashin Foundation being a long-term supporter to my research in the lab. So they're very well familiar with everything going on on the technology advancement side. And uh, I get a huge amount of support from, from them. And uh, I should also mention, in the meantime, we almost every other week, we got a email from a stranger, a patient, either it's them, it's their like, children, their parents or their friends, they got a rare disease. They read news about our technology, and uh, they ask, oh, when your technology could be accessed by patients. We did feel there is a demand for doing this timely to benefit the society. CRISPR has obviously been around for a while now. Um, could you tell me about some of the things like CRISPR interference and the epigenome and uh, epigenic editing? Could you explain what those all are? Yeah, like you said, CRISPR feels both old and new to people. First, I should say, why it feels old? Because it's the technology was reported uh, a decade ago. And uh, a decade seems a long time in the, in the tech world, right? And meanwhile, it feels new because the first CRISPR drug was approved a month ago. And just yesterday, I saw the news that it expanded the disease scope from uh, the first drug further from anemia to beta-thalassemia, which is very exciting. But if you consider how this drug being going from testing in the cell cultures in the lab to be approved as a drug in patients, it took like less than 12 years. I think that's extremely fast for a drug development as a perspective. But meanwhile, we've been working on this very different spectrum of the CRISPR, which is we do not focus on gene editing. CRISPR came out from as a nucleus molecule, and it's an RNA-guided DNA-cutting molecule. We call it nucleus. It allows us to cut the DNA and modify the sequence that on that particular site of the DNA. And however, since day one, what our inspiration from this CRISPR is less about this cutting ability. If I make a, a metaphor, I would say, okay, CRISPR is a very precise scissors, right? That allow us to do gene surgery on the genome. We are less inspired by the scissor function. We are more inspired by precision function. And based on this, we thought, okay, how can we harness this precision? because it allows us to use a RA to target any piece of DNA and then to control the function come out from the piece of DNA. That really leads to two inventions. One is this nucleus dead cast. We, we name it DCAS. D stands for dead. So DCAS9, DCAS12, DCAS mini, like miniature cast that we developed. And also second technology is leading to this control technology, which is we named CRISPR-I, CRISPR inference for silencing a gene or CRISPR-A for activating a gene. And that being said, this leads to uh, like expanding the gene editing from altering gene sequence into modifying the human epigenetics. Okay, your question is, what is the human epigenome? The epigenome is the chemistry of the DNA that controls gene expression. 
By chemistry, it could be broadly defined, but I can give you one most well-studied example is demethylation. For example, like we, there are a lot of studies shown that if a gene region, consider like, human genome, is associated, is like modified heavily by demethylation, that usually leads to silencing of that gene, sometimes even permanent silencing when the cells divide. This methylation marks also inherited by daughter cells, so those keep silencing the genes in the daughter cells. But if a piece of gene is depleted of the methylation, it's usually associated with gene activation, gene on. So it's really like this chemistry is fascinating because it controls the fit of the DNA, how the DNA is expressed, when they are expressed, and when something goes wrong there with the chemistry, it definitely leads to disease. That really leads to what we want. Let's make tools for modifying epigenome, which we call epigenetic editing. And uh, we want to be very safely and very precisely to modify such chemistry marks, such as installing new methylation marks to silence the gene permanently, or we erase the marks to turn on the gene permanently. And I believe all this would find their potential uses for disease treatment. Could you tell me a bit about your GEMS or gene expression modulation system? Yes. And uh, the core component of our technologies, so we can precisely modify the human genetics, relies on two components. One component is a precision molecule. We invented a miniature Cas system, which is only a third size of Cas9, and which makes it much easier to deliver into the cells or into the body. And the second component, which is a piece of a protein, which is actually an enzyme that either comes from the natural human of human proteins or is being engineered to further improve the activity. What does this enzyme do? Okay, this enzyme it will modify the chemistry on the DNA or histone or histones associated with DNA. So we can influence how the genes are turned on or turned off. And normally we we call it gene expression modulation because despite it being an epigenetic enzyme, such as being modifying the methylation marks of certain uh, units of the histone, or it's being a methyl transferase or demethylase, we think the outcome is to modify gene expression, right? We can turn on or switch on or switch off gene expression. Therefore, we name it gene expression modulation or GEMS. One of the good things about this system is that the editing is reversible. How do you reverse that and why would you need to do that? Yeah, uh, that's a fantastic question. So I've been thinking about this question for, for a long time, even since the beginning of the technology. So if we think about the gene editing, we talk about modifying gene sequence, such as by converting a single base pair, A to a G, example, or disrupting a gene by deleting a fragment from this gene. And all these modifications are considered irreversible. It's not saying that it's absolutely impossible to reverse that, but in the normal clinical setup, it's irreversible. Being irreversible brings the good thing about it could be a one-time treatment, but it also bears a big risk, which is if these irreversible modifications occur outside of your general interest on another side, which we call it off-target. If this such thing happens, it will be very hard to remedy that. And in comparison to these permanent DNA sequence modification changes, we are very excited about epigenetics because epigenetics by 
intrinsic design, either from nature or from our technology, is reversible. Because think about the chemistry on the DNA. It's all being introduced and erased. For every single modification, like a demethylation, there is a rider. Meanwhile, there is an eraser. And it's kind of like a whiteboard, right? So you can, you can write something there, but you can also erase that when you don't need it. That really brings up a safety and also the flexibility, because sometimes if we, like say, at this moment, we need to turn on this gene, but later we need to turn them off because we no longer need this modification. I think the very exciting potential here is, yes, we can do it. We've seen what CRISPR can do in terms of how it treats diseases. What are the implications of your system in terms of how will it advance treatments? Yes, I have this recognition that is epigenetic editing is the next pillar of the gene editing and the gene therapy. And uh, what excites me most is it expands the scope of the gene editing to treat more disease that beyond simply editing the DNA sequence. And why do I say that? And considering the current disease that being very actively like tackled in the domain of the gene editing, they mostly belong to single mutation disease. For example, the first CRISPR drug addresses sickle cell anemia, uh, beta thalassemia, and they're also uh, CRISPR companies working on liver disease, and many of these diseases are caused by a single mutation in a single gene. And while this is already super exciting because many of these diseases do not yet have a treatment, and also gene editing brings in a cure, not just a treatment, and we do recognize the disease scope that could be tackled by gene editing is relatively limited at the moment. And I feel it's a pity that we have such wonderful technology and tools, but we can only address a small category of disease. And by the way, many of these diseases are rare disease. And But when we look at the broader disease category, we realized more than 40% of the disease are related to human DNA changes, either genetic or epigenetic. Actually, I should say this number keep increasing because the more people started into the mechanism of the root of the disease, they realize, oh, more could be addressed definitely by genetics or epigenetics. So 40% is an underestimation. And furthermore, and even in the realm of the rare of the genetic disease, there are like more than 8,000 of them. And many of them are regarded as orphan disease because they only affect a small population. But you time that number by 8,000, it actually affects 6% of the global population, which is a significant category of disease. And while gene editing can only address a smaller population of patients, we ask questions, can we use epigenetic editing technologies to dramatically broaden it? I can give you some examples. Gene editing, the concept of that is if there is a mutation, we can target to the region that bearing that mutation and precisely either disrupt the mutation or correct the mutation. However, that really leads to some challenges for certain disease. For example, cystic fibrosis is a disease that caught by one gene, but there are more than 2000 possible mutations spread across the gene. And while there are some dominant mutations, sure, in, the, in this patient population, but so many mutations in that disease only have a few hundred patients in the world with that mutation. That's broad question, like are we going to develop a different modality just to treat a hundred people 
And how can we design the clinical trial for that, right? And is this even commercially feasible? And when we think about that, we think, okay, if we can use epigenetic editing, we can make it mutation agnostic, saying, sure, there are a few hundred patients for each mutation, but there are 2,000 mutations, but it's caused by one single gene. It's a one-gene disease. What about we use epigenetic editing to either reactivating the gene function or silencing the gene function? Then we don't need to develop like so many different modalities for individual mutations. We can design one, one modality targeting to a region that is common to all the people and let this our enzyme, the epigenetic enzyme, introduce the chemistry, right? Methylation or demethylation in marks into the into the chromatin, and then we can treat the disease. That is the reason that we definitely think the epigenetic editing bear huge benefits to expand the scope of treatment. I'm just giving you one example. By the way, there are actually many category of disease caused by like for example, repeat expansion, which means a sequence being repeated multiple times in the genome, which leads to a problem that is very hard to be addressed by gene editing, but could be great targets for epigenetic editing. And another big category is haploinsufficiency disease. And uh, haplo means half. Okay, so basically it means in our body, uh, like uh, there's a gene cause problem, but half of the allele of the gene, which is one copy of allele is good, but one, another copy is bad, is diseased. So we can use epigen editing to reactivate the good allele to restore the good dosage, like red syndrome and a bunch of like obesity related disease or caused by this type of root of the disease. So I, I'm just giving you a very small category of the disease that we believe we can expand to, but there are many more we, we really like suitable for epigenome editing. This seems like there's so many different things that you can do here. Is it overwhelming? I know that you're going to focus on an FSHD, but in the bigger picture, how will you try and tackle all of these conditions? <laughs> this is great, great question. We always keep ourselves busy. I wouldn't say it's 24-7 working, but we always working. But meanwhile, like you said, there are so many potentials. There are so many challenges as well. Each disease it could be very hard, right? Because they're specific to each disease. Our strategy is to first approve that the, our technology is could be safe in human. It's pretty much like for gene editing, right? So there, it also has huge potential to many category disease. And people start with some disease that has a demand, medical need, but also feasible, and also have a clear clinical path to demonstrate its efficacy and safety in human. And we are doing the same thing here for epigenetic editing. So that's why we, uh, we focus our, a lot of efforts on FSHD. We have two goals, one here, and one is to really find a treatment to FSHD because there is a big medical need. Second is to demonstrate the epigenome editing is safe and has efficacy. And okay, so another reason is, okay, why do you choose FSHD, right? So FSHD, it's a common form of muscular dystrophy. It's actually the second largest muscular dystrophy. It's actually a genetic condition characterized by progressive chronic muscle weakness and atrophy. And specifically, FSHD stands for facial scapulohumeral muscular dystrophy. It affects face, shoulders, and upper arms. But unlike Duchenne muscular dystrophy, it's a varies greatly in severity. And also many people experiencing ranging from mild to severe symptoms and making is a 
people regard as the most sophisticated physical like a disease. But then there are some complexity that which we believe is perfect for epigenetic editing because it's caused by an inappropriate expression of a gene called DAX4 in muscle cells. And it's furthermore, it's, it's related to the copy du duplication of this DAX4. And uh, normally, this gene is silenced in many tissues, including muscles. However, in individuals with FSHD, there are some genetic changes or epigenetic changes. There are different types of FSHD, really leads to a aberrant expression of DAX4, which gradually weakens the muscle cell, leading to cell death. It's traditionally hard to, for gene editing to tackle this disease because it's related to many copies of the DAX4 in the genome, and it's very hard to damage the genome at so many sites and fix the problem there. But using epigenome editing, we can resilence the disease-causing genes and uh, regardless of their copy numbers. And also we can use the advances from already come from the Duchenne muscular dystrophy, like a viral vector to address this disease. That's that, therefore, we believe we have all the necessary molecular modalities prepared us to try it in animals and in, in patients. And we choose this as our beginning point. And we, after we verify the safety, we are expanding them to other diseases. And how will um, your platform tackle the disease? The uh, is it Epi three two one? Yeah, Epi three two one is a code name for our current epigenetic drug to treat this. Uh, what is that? It's a molecule. It encodes a molecule, which is like I described, is a fusion molecule between a miniature cast molecule system fused with a epigenetic enzyme, which allow us to silence the DAX4 gene. Uh, by installing the methylation into the chromatin. It's supposed to be a one-time treatment and a permanent cure of the disease. And what's in it is we used a, a viral vector, a adeno-associated virus, AEV, to encode a gene that encodes this fusion protein. And we also co-express a guide RNA that specifically directs this molecule onto the site of DAX4 gene. And so we can make uh, this very precise. And that is the form of what IP321. Meanwhile, this vector, the, the AEV system has been, for delivery, has been widely validated models like primates and used for other muscular disease. And therefore, we believe we are at a very interesting uh, prime moment to combine the existing technologies with our new epigenome editing technology to tackle this disease. Could you tell me a little bit about the plans for the clinical trial? So we will, the clinical trial, we will, be, we are designed to evaluate the safety and efficacy and also optimize dosing of our therapeutic approach. So our hope is to initiate the phase one clinical trial with those focus and goals bear in mind. Because it's a new type of epigenome editing, so we need to, there are a few things that we need to do. One is to ver verify this mode of action, which is a relatively new mode of action. But meanwhile, since the gene therapy being rapidly progressing, like uh, CRISPR being used as a drug for treat genetic disease mutation, correct mutation, right, gene disruption, and we all use uh, similar technologies that invented there, but also blend in with new methods to particularly focus on epigenetics, such as sequencing methods to sequence the off-targets and verify the off-target modifications and in this patient to verify the mode of action. And meanwhile, and we will focus on the administration because the method of administering the treatment is very important 
for this uh, FSHD, we, we need to optimize that. As a gene therapy, uh, we will optimize like intramuscular injections of our viral vector, and then we will investigate what is the dose required and how to get the best method of this gene editing, uh, epigenome editing uh, molecule into the cells as much as possible. There are a lot of treatments that cost an awful lot of money. Is this something that you will be able to do at a reasonable cost? <laughs> In terms of the R&D research, that's why we work diligently with investors and also other biotech and pharma companies to investigate this disease. That's already been demanding a big amount of capital to support the whole process of this clinical trial. And, and we've been recognized by many supporters, so I'll be confident with, about that. And meanwhile, if you talk about the cost after this drug being developed, I do expect, yeah, like many gene therapies, the cost could be high at the beginning because there is a smaller group of patients suitable for this disease and also all the manufacture and uh, other costs coming into it is high. But just kind of like any other technology, many technologies, right? It's usually started as a luxury product. And uh, gradually, because of the customer base goes up, because we can treat more patients in this case, and the manufacturer cost goes down, the scale up goes up, so we can start greatly reduce the cost. I believe the next few decades of medicine will be dramatically different, and people will no longer feel strange to talk about gene therapy. And there is no reason for gene therapy to be as expensive as today. I actually believe there will be orders magnitude lower cost in the future for these medicines. That's excellent. Is this an area that there's just your company working on or are there other companies working in this field? So there are a few other companies also working on this precision epigenetic editing. And But if you look at broadly on the epigenetics companies, even before the age of CRISPR, there were companies working on epigenetic to treat cancer, right? So uh, like this is, there are also people working on epigenetics to engineer stem cells as cell therapy or to do anti-aging. <laughs> there are very active research on that. And those epigenetics research companies also being like in the world, right? So they are doing their great job. And for us, we focus on precise epigenome editing and uh, uh, besides uh, Epic Bio, there are other companies like Chroma, Tune, and they're also in, uh, developing technologies and addressing disease. And because there are many diseases really in this field, I'm super excited to see more than one company working on this, right? Because really speaking from both technology side and also speaking from the disease indication side, I'm happy to see the technology is being developed by multiple parties and optimize differently for different disease. And the hope is to bring these biotechnology advances onto the hands of patients as soon as possible. What else do you have in your pipeline that you're working on? Yeah, besides FSHD, which is a muscular dystrophy disease, we also have pipelines about the liver disease and including both genetic disease of the genetic liver disease and also infectious type of liver disease. And we also have a pipeline regarding the retina disease, which also very amenable for the AUV type delivery. Oh, by the way, the, uh, for liver disease, we do use uh, MRA therapy. We use MRA to encode our epigenome adding molecule, and we package that in 
lipid nanoparticles like LNP, which has been used as vaccines and many other drug development. And we are very excited about that. And beyond these categories, I'm personally very excited about neurological disease. And neurological disease, there are so many of them, and most of them have no cure at all. And but there's a big demand. And it's been traditionally challenging because of the lack of the effective genetic molecules to modify the genetics in the neurons. And also because of lack of delivery methods to particular delivery into the brain or into the spine. And uh, but I believe we are starting at the moment to use the epigenome editing to modify the neurons, such as treating rat syndrome, Angelman's syndrome, and other type of genetic disease, like even autoimmune, like multiple sclerosis. And, uh, you know, another reason I really like from biological side, I'm very interested in neurological disease is these are the type of cells that neurons, like super important, and also do not divide at all, and live with us forever. If we lose them, we lose them. That really like match to the concept of epigenetics, which is you talk about not a half cell divide, and you talk about how to reinstall some chemistry into a existing cell to regulate their gene expression so we can reverse disease. So yeah, I'm excited about all these diseases, but also I hope there would be more options for us to modify the epigenetic in these diseases. So where does the company go from here? I know you've been extremely busy lately, so what are the next steps? Yes, number one priority is for us to bring our first epigenetic editing drug <laughs> into the clinics and prove it's safe and prove it's efficient. We are working very diligently on this major task. And meanwhile, we also continuously innovating our epigenetic platform. Epic Bio is both a platform technology company and also a gene therapy company. And we aim to address the most challenging disease that not addressable by gene editing. But meanwhile, we are providing a broad technology based on epigenetic editing. And for example, we have a pipeline for protein engineering and screening, and we also have much uh, like artificial intelligence discovery pipeline in the company to discover and engineer and optimize all these epigenome editing molecules. And uh, these technologies are broadly useful even beyond the gene therapy field. For example, cancer treatment and like CAR T and T cell therapy has been successful, right, in treating some type of tumors like blood tumors. But meanwhile, there is a big need to expand beyond blood tumor. And we do believe epigenome editing in T cells, in other type of immune cells like macrophage and natural killer cells will be a key to optimize their efficacy toward different type of cancer. And beyond cancer, like stem cell therapy, regarding how you can engineer the epigenetics of the stem cell to make them differentiate into more therapeutic relevant cells and or like more common disease like a joint disease, a heart disease, cardiovascular disease, a neurological disease, all of them will require the advanced from epigenome editing. We are actually working with different industry partners to open our platform and use them for different disease categories. And even in the longer future, people talk about, oh, how can we help because a lot of diseases are age-related. How can we address this age-related disease? And we do believe many age-related diseases are relevant to epigenetics because in many of those diseases, you do not obviously see mutations of DNA, but you see changes in epigenetics. And we are also interested in potentially in those categories. It keeps us very busy. There are a lot of opportunities, a lot of potentials. 
but we also recognize the number one priority is to bring this to treat at least one disease. Not only fascinating science, but also a very promising way to treat certain diseases. I think with so many advancements in science and the influence of AI, the next few years promise to be very interesting. Don't forget to check out the latest news and articles at labiotech.eu. And I hope wherever in the world you are, you have a great week ahead. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time for another Beyond Biotech. <music>